Hey, today on Jesus, Sex, and Politics, we're going to dive into the idea that America might actually have a king, but who is that king? What are our founders to believe about having a king? We've got a historian and economist, uh, Jim Hunsinger, joining us on the program today. You're not going to want to miss it. Let's go. Welcome to the Jesus, Sex, and Politics Podcast. I'm Micah. And I'm Nathan. And here we talk about all the things that scare you. <laughs> that was the worst. Open. Culture. I started doesn't early. Doesn't want to talk about that <laughs> I, will scare you. Oh my gosh. I started just a brief second early on my hay and it threw me off. Oh. It, that's what it was. That's why I looked at you. You're was, a little out of practice. <laughs> well, you're never here anymore. No, you're no, always no. traveling that's, the world. That's not jet true. Setter, so. That's not true. Well, Nathan, we have a uh, we have a uh, cool show. I think today we're going to dive into a little bit more uh, American history and knowing where we came from, why that's important. But uh, we've got a guy that goes to our church who's uh, an economist, a historian, an engineer. Uh, he writes for Town Hall. He's been with us before. Yes, and yeah. he's back today. Jim Hunsinger is with us. Yeah. How are you, Jim? Uh, good, gentlemen. Great to be here with you. Yeah, thanks good for, to have you back, man. Thanks for joining us. So set up this uh, conversation here. We were uh, Nathan and I both had a few messages that you, you've heard uh, on a Sunday, and you've come up to us afterwards and talked about the historical context of what we were saying. So where did this, uh, where did this conversation uh, sort of you know, get birthed in your, in your head? Yeah. Well, it started last April. So last April, um, Nathan was giving a sermon. And of course, we're on um, 2 Samuel is what we've been talking about. Yeah. It was something in reference to that, of course. And you got talking about, um, and actually, I even have a little still shot up here, um, you're talking about in Second Samuel, then started correlating it to the United States. But up here on the screen, you had bringing a wayward, bringing a wayward house back to the rightful king. It is the only way to have uh, real peace. And you were kind of talking about that, and then talked about things going on in the U.S. And then you made the comment that that Jesus is the rightful king of the United States. And I said, you know, I'm sitting there and see, I said, yeah, exactly. I need yep. to go up and mention him because um, not only is he the rightful king, he is the deliberate and actual king. And that's kind of what we right. go through here today. And then going forward in November, um, on Second Samuel as well, uh, Micah was uh, um, talking about that, um, some of the problems they were having when one of his sons, um, was it Abner? I can't remember which one. Uh, Absalom, 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 yes, took over and all that. So we're going through that. So then you brought up a slide and have it here and correlated it to the United States um, where he had, uh, who is the governing governing authority in the U.S.? Um, uh, Governing officials at number three, then up the Constitution at number two, then we, the people at at number one, and talked about that. And as you said, and I I thought about after you said, I said, oh, we need to bring this on home. So what does that mean? Well, actually, is we, the people, really the sovereigns? And what does that mean? Relating back to Nathan's sermon a number of months back is God as the king. Um, so that's that's when I mentioned yeah. something to you and all that. And so so really that structure, that hierarchy, if you want we should drop it down a level to four, it sounds like. So four would be the politicians, then three would be the constitution that rules over the politicians, and then two would be the people that rules over the constitution. And then, then we'd have Christ over sovereign overall of, and that's yeah, that's essentially what it sounds like you're yeah. getting at. That's what I'm getting at. And yeah. again, certainly as Christians, American Christians, we believe that. But actually, our country is actually 
founded and set up on that notion knowingly. Because th- this is interesting, Jim, because historically you're going to dive into kind of where where this argument comes from. But there's people that I run into all the time that just want to bloviate on and on about uh, America is not a Christian nation. America is a secular, secular nation. In America, our founders didn't want Christianity or any religion for that matter. They just wanted, you know, they wanted your own opinions to be your moral guide or whatever. I don't even know how they get to that, you know, that logical argument. But but I run into people like this. And sometimes, you know, seemingly, quote unquote, college educated yeah. people, right? Where they've got these college degrees. They want to consider themselves. I mean, there's one guy that I, I run into often. He's on a uh, show that I do sometimes called Mouthwash. His name is Mark Small. And Mark is, you know, he wants to come across as being in a, in a very elite kind of academic person. But the guy is just doesn't know what he's talking about half the time. And he'll say often, he'll say, we are not a Christian nation. He'll, he'll rip on me for saying we are a Christian nation. And he'll and he'll just he'll bring up you know random little quotes from yep. from a founder somewhere that has an idea of maybe deism or something like that, and then he'll take that and he'll say he'll build a whole constitution around that. Oh. And it's like whoa, you got to look at the whole context of what what they were saying in context, but also what's the general what what were the general principles of all the framers that led to this? We also have you know uh, straight up Supreme Court cases where the Supreme Court says we're a Christian yeah, nation. That's right. Right. Yep. So I mean it it's it's not a question. Well, you look at the state constitutions too. If you want to go to the US Constitution, because they'll say, well nowhere in the US Constitution is God mentioned and 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 we can we can jump into that too. But the uh Nor but, does it say separation of church and state in the Constitution. That's right. And so, but but if you go to state constitutions, I mean, you you read the constitution like just take New York for instance. Yeah, it is like you're reading the church document. Yep. I mean, it's crazy how God centered, Jesus centered their state constitution is, and that's you. All the thirteen colonies have constitutions that are sim- se- seemingly very similar yeah. to that that concept. So, that's and in some ways, yeah. they were actually were a church document. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. That's yeah. right. And that yep. came out of that. Yep. So yeah. So actually. Um, I could take it to this. So if you look, if you go back, I always, actually, I like to say we're actually not a constitutional republic. That is right in part, but we're actually a compactual yeah. republic. Yeah. You explain gotta, that. Explain that. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. Say yeah. that. So a, a compact, and that's what we'll go through a lot, a, a lot here. So a compact is basically a covenant. And the United States is a, a, a compactual uh, confederacy. We're not a nation state. We'll go through some of that. Not a nation state. So a compact is basically an agreement. But the, with a compact, and it's in the history of the com- compacts go all the way back to the Hebrews in the Sinai Desert, the Torah, okay, and forward. Um, but a compact mean is you make an agreement, a, uh, um, a covenant between two people, two organizations, or whatever it might be, or more. In this case, the United States thirteen originally, and there's always a third party, and that's always God. Hmm. So God's always a third party, and of course, always the basically the dominant party because you do things on behalf of Him. So I was reading in Exodus today, and you know He's laying out, you know, starting in Exodus twenty through twenty four, a lot of the law is there, and and then you know Moses not only just tells the people, he writes it down, and he says to the people, "Will you do this?" And then they say, yes, we'll do it. So you're saying that the, the parties are Moses, the lawgiver. It's the people who say, we'll do it. Yep. And then it was God who covered the whole thing as, as the third witness. So between two or three 
witnesses let every word be established. Is that is that the idea yeah. of a compact? That's the idea. Okay. And, and, and it, came, it came out of the Torah. I mean, the idea, the, the, orig, the original compact is, uh, is, is the Torah. That's and what they did there. With the, um, and again, knowingly, uh, I don't want to say just our founders, but our forefathers, that they... That was just that was just the gospel to them in a sense. Yeah. Um, but if you look at the declaration, so the compact. So our compact is actually typically a compact is written in a single document. Sometimes in more than one. In our case, it's written in more than one: the Declaration of Independence and then the Constitution. So there's always a moral aspect to it, and then there's some structural aspect, mm-hmm. and some are more complex than others. So if you look at the moral aspect, the Declaration is the moral yeah, aspect right. yeah. of all that. I think most people would just be familiar with the concept of a compact from the Mayflower Compact. Yeah, that's a compact. So, so, so that very same principle continues consistently through the American government. Through the American government. And actually, if you look at the, the Declaration, Isaiah thirty three twenty two is embedded in the Declaration of Independence. Okay, what, what is that scripture? So if you the, the Lord is our yeah the Lord is our judge. Oh, yeah 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 judge. right right yeah. right Lord is the our three lawgiver. branches the yeah. Lord is our King and it is, it is he, he who saves us yeah. and and I could go through the different verses I don't know if you want to but you know the judge so those are all attributes of a king you know judge lawmaker um, source of rights guardian now the one that's different in the declaration there's a fifth one and a human king can't be that and that's the creator huh which puts it into that divine yeah, okay. divine realm. Okay. It's embedded in there. Um, Read that scripture one more time because there's a lot of people, they've, they've never heard that before, yeah. but I know that, Micah, you've made that argument again and again. I've heard you, you yeah, do Yeah, James it and, Madison, uh, he was he referenced uh, Isaiah 33, 22 as the source of inspiration for the three branches of government. That's right. Yeah, yeah so yeah, it's, uh, the Lord is our, is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. That's Isaiah thirty three twenty two. And so many times we are told that we're built on the Roman Empire. Now, there are aspects of the Roman Empire that we definitely pull, we definitely from. pull from, yeah. right? But I don't think that they had the three, Mm-mm. you know, equal but separate. You know, as far as I understand, they had, they had two major, right? They, they yeah. had uh, the, the, the Caesar and then the Senate, and originally it was just the Senate. Yeah. That was making that call, but but that's more specifically we're 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 built off of a biblical system, not just a, a, yeah. a Greco-Roman yeah. sort of. Well, idea. yeah, they're built. So their model was, and I think year year and a half ago we did when we talked about that. Their model was the was the Hebrew Republic that was developed in the Sinai Desert. Mm-hmm. That was their model. Now, why do they bring up? They'll bring up the Greeks, and the Greeks had certainly had an impact. Mm-hmm. The Romans, and they certainly had an impact. Um, so if you look, if you go back and look at the founding, um, what they did, they based it on, and that had gone through, and we'll go through some, we'll go through that. That had gone through from the even before the pilgrims hitting the ground, but built upon the pilgrims hitting the ground, all the compact and work that was done the 150 years prior mm-hmm. to 1776. But what they did at that time, so one of the Enlightenment writers that they reference was uh, Charles Montesquieu. Okay. So if you read, and I've read Charles Montesquieu, if you read that, basically it's a case study book. Okay. He goes through and, and looks at governments all, all across the entire planet. Um, Europe, of course, Africa, Asia, South America, and he just 
goes through and articulates on those. So if you, and I think he published that in 1770. So it was a fairly contemporary book. So they reference him at the time they were doing the constitution, because he's talking about governmental structures. So he's, and he's obviously spent time on the Romans and the Greeks and things like that. And that was well known and taught. So they certainly went, went and looked at those things because they're going, we're making up, we're making up something that's not new, but we're also doing something that is new. So they took the, Hebrews, but they also looked at all these other governments around the world, around history, to try to, which is a wise thing to do if you yeah. go do benchmarking. Right. Yeah. Let's bring stuff in and bring stuff in that we think will help us build the best government to uphold the moral compact. And that's why they looked at it. And that's why if you look at the references, particularly during the constitutional period, that's why Montesquieu is one of the other than the Bible. Yeah, it's one of the most quoted. One of the most yeah. quoted. And if you look at during the declarational period, the most one other than the Bible is John Locke. Yeah. Because his whole moral, moral argument and all that. That's really, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating to, to understand that. I always say the declaration is the why behind liberty and the constitution is the how mm. behind liberty. So yeah. why is liberty a thing? Well, God, the creator, the moral argument. And then the constitution is how do you maintain that liberty? How do we do that? And so some people will look at the constitution. They'll say, well, God's not referenced in the constitution. God, you know, where do they talk about God? Yeah, because they mentioned it. They mentioned him four times in the, in the declaration of independence. You don't, they, they, those two documents go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. If you had just the, the why, but not the how, you wouldn't be able to maintain it. If you had the how, but not the why, it would get off course because you'd have no vision, right? There's no vision statement, right? I look at it, it's almost like Mark, our framers in a lot of ways were were entrepreneurs, right? So they had the vision statement, which would be the declaration. Then they had the mission statement, which is the constitution. How do you maintain this? And what they were doing with Montesquieu was they were doing market research, right? Exactly. It's, a, it's essentially what it was. It was looking at all of the, the governments the world has ever produced, that's what good. worked, what didn't work, which is what we always do whenever we start a business. Every yeah. entrepreneur yeah, that's good. knows that concept. So our framers were really yeah. just entrepreneurs. Exactly. And, yeah. But their baseline was the Hebrew Republic that's right. and that in scripture. But is, okay, we're not, that was 3,000 over 3,000 years ago, how do we take that baseline and how do we learn from these other civilizations yep, yep. to put something in place that's going to work for us? And also, too, if you look, so obviously the first constitution, and constitution is actually a general term yep. used back then. We just kind of raise it up, put a capital C on it, raise it up. So if you look at the Articles of Confederation, which was the original constitution, yep. it was a constitution also, but it didn't get them to the point they thought after the Revolutionary War where they want it, wanted to be. Yeah. We can go through some of that. Yeah, there's too. a lot of flaws in it. Um, you and, mentioned, oh, go ahead. Nate. I was just going to say that uh, the, for our listeners, the, the Constitution, um, it, it doesn't tell people what they're going to do. It tells the government about its limitations. Yep. Yeah. Because in all of these different frames of government, government always overpowers the people. So our founders do something very different. They understand that the natural tendency is that power will take power, you know, and, and that's why they can't be trusted with full power. We need three branches in order to, to offset that, you know, so that, so that it, they, they particularly and very wisely spread that power out and made each power accountable to the other power in some way, shape, or form, and yet ask them to do their job and not infringe. If you look at constitutions like the French 
constitution, you know, they, they're trying to do theirs based on the fact that, you know, all man is innately good right, following yeah. the teachings of Voltaire. And, and, and that actually leads them to guillotines, yep. right? Where we base ours on the opposite side, that, that we're all flawed and that the natural tendency of man is towards destruction and that we can't trust ourselves. And so we're not innately good. We're in need of a savior. And ours is the longest serving constitution in the history of the world. Yeah, it's still that's still functioning, right? Yeah. So there's a there's a there's a premise biblically speaking that is is absolutely anti the you know a lot of the concepts of the enlightenment and is absolutely biblical biblically in in its in, in its nature. So you had uh, on that just and I'll jump jump back to you here, uh, Jim, but. You had uh, de Tocqueville, right? I mean, Alexis de Tocqueville yeah. from the French Revolution. He wanted to come over to the the states to see why did this constitution work and this revolution actually produce freedom and liberty, but ours is like crumbling under our feet. Right, writing within fifty years, yeah, he and he is like, "This is unbelievable! What this nation is accomplishing yeah. so quickly." Go ahead, and, and so he says in his book, uh, De- uh, "Democracy uh, in America." Um, and he says, he says, not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness, did I understand the greatness and the genius of America. America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. And what he's highlighting here, he's highlighting the principles that our founders knew. They said, we're not good on our own. We're good because we serve the God yep. who is good. Amen. And that's why we're a great nation. If we ever lose that, we'll cease to be great, which is exactly why we're going down the path Absolutely. we're going in right now. So, yeah. so to put yeah. some to put some context on that, so several things. One is, so if you look at the Pe- Pledge of Allegiance, mm-hmm. a lot of people say, well, originally, and it, they're correct, originally it did not have under God in there. It wasn't added until the 50s, right? So 50, Eisenhower? Yeah, 54. Yeah. yeah. So, but what I would say is it wasn't correct until that was added mm. because, uh, you know, uh, um, to fight, did I say, um, in order to... One nation? One, one nation, then it was it one nation. Indivisible. Indivisible. But the thing is, one nation, then he added under God. But that's back to is we are not, again, we are not a nation state. Yeah. We are confederacy. So it was only correct because we only become one nation under God, which is a reference to the compact. Yeah. yeah. So under God, we act as a nation. We're still not a nation. We're actually, originally, we were 13 separate sovereign nation states. Currently, we're 50 separate sovereign nation yes, states yes. In, in doing that. And so on that note too, Jim, there's there's this concept that people will say the United States of America. Yep. That's actually not correct. It's correct. these United, United States, States of America. Of America. And, and we could jump back to the declaration to, to, with that argument as well. So if yeah. you look at the Declaration of Independence, the kind of the top line, other than I think it says, you know, in Congress, but it says the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. That's kind of that title. Okay, let's look at that line. So when you look at it, the font of the unanimous the unanimous declaration and states of America are very large font. The middle part of these 13 united is a very small font. And so notice united is small. It's not capitalized where states and America are capitalized. So it's simply an adjective. Mm. It's not a name. It's an adjective. Yeah, yeah. So mm. it's 13 separate sovereign nation states, which um, what they are trying to do with the declaration and articles and then eventually constitution, it was how do we, how do we behave as a 
single, and actually a historian, Tom, Tom Woods always says this. He always says, people think we're this great big blob. We're not a great big blob because we are separate. But how do we behave now? So they had issues with the um, Revolutionary War because it was 13 separate nations come together under the compact the, yeah. de- the original it's one like the nato kind of yeah. like nato a little bit but it was yeah. very dysfunctional yeah washington did they get, weren't getting funding states weren't ponying up there yep. was just no coordination which is another reason why they believe they won the war because god intervened they believe that because there's no way you know <laughs> these wilderness colonies yeah went under these what farmers was the, world, the global yeah. super literally it was that's at the time when the Sun never set on the British Empire. Right. The greatest military, the greatest navy, and all that. There's no way they could win without God intervening. Mm-hmm. So after they did win, they knew he had to. Uh, they had to have intervened. But they were a little. They were concerned that if they got into another conflict with England or even France, God may not intervene again. <laughs> so they needed to coordinate it. Yeah. So that was. So that was one of the big things behind it. How do we act? As a sing, even though we're not, how do we act under certain circumstances as a singular nation? Certainly, one of them was um, national defense. Washington said, "There, you know, uh, once this war's over, he said, I'll be able to pick up and and start being a preacher for all of yeah. the things that I have seen God do. I, I'll have no end of stories to tell. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about the intervention." Uh, Washington considered being a preacher. I love that. Yeah, that's yeah. good. So, but also back. So, that, so that's part of the thing to do with the compact. That's why um, the, I guess the, the Confederacy. I know Confederacy has a negative term as a result of the Civil War. But if you look like it, actually in De Tocqueville, so the term Union, and that's why the North ended up the name Union, the South ended up Confederacy, because those are actually mm-hmm. just common terms. But if you look at the writings of the of the founding generation post that all the way up to the Civil War and to, 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 to Dokeville also, they they don't use nation hardly at all. They use Confederacy um, or Union all the time. Um, so, for example, actually looking at uh, some anti-federalist papers, actually even federalist papers are reference those, although the anti-federalists were not anti-federalist. That's right. That's it. Yeah, that's right. I'd go into that. Explain that yeah. a little bit. Um what the, what they were, I like to say this. So, um, and they didn't really do this because, like, the Federalist Papers were written kind of in New York for that crowd, trying to get them yeah. to to get the people of New York to, to ratify the Constitution. Um, so that's what they're written for. But they are a very good, and I'm not a big fan of of Alexander Hamilton, but he articulates very well. They articulate very well. So what I like to say about the Federalist Papers, Federalist Papers, is they they won the vote, even though that's they're just using New York won sure. the vote. The Anti-Federalist Papers won the argument. So when you read the Anti-Federalist Papers, which are not Anti-Federalist, they just are giving warnings about this structure. And I'd say 95% of the things they warned about are coming have, will have come to pass. Yeah. So that's what I mean. So uh, Patrick Henry was an Anti-Federalist. Yes. He would have been on that camp. So but he was a Federalist, actually. But, but yes, <laughs> I mean, I think he was really concerned with big government takeover yeah. and little states or, or colonies or at the time like would not have any rights. I mean, they were very, you know, the states like Rhode Island and, and uh, you know, Delaware, and they were a little concerned that New York and Virginia were going <laughs> <Very concerned. laughs> to rule the roost. Yeah. And that, yeah. And so. if, you, if you look at Anti-Federalist, 41 through 43, the federal, the guy under the pen name Federalist Farmer called himself Federalist Farmer. Okay. Federalist, <laughs> um, he, he repeatedly cites America as a confederation, a confederacy, union, federal republic, confederacy of states, and confederated republic. So, again, just illustrating 
they they absolutely understood that we aren't a nation state we're a confederation like i said with the civil war to today that has a negative connotation it's just a description of of what of what it was and actually even if you look at the anti or the federalist paper 39 which was madison he um he notes that uh, the act, therefore, establishing the Constitution, so the act of what they were doing with mm-hmm. that, um, will will not be a national, but a federal act. So he's even acknowledging that yeah. in the federal space. Okay. Is this something that the EU is sort of trying to model? That's and, what they're trying and, to model. I mean, I mean so because we look at the EU and we say, man, like that's just a you know, terrible, don't, you know, Germany and England, don't give up your sovereignty. But essentially, they're trying to, they're trying to model a little bit of what the United States did so well. But I would say the United States really had a pure God focus when they started this, and the EU is going to not work because... Oh, yeah, it has a more of an economic and, and, and security kind yeah, of focus. that's right. Yeah, yeah. economic focus. Now, there's two main reasons of the our, our Confederacy, you know, uh, of what they did post-Revolutionary uh, War. And you hit you hit on one. The other the other one I mentioned before was defense. How do we how do we defend ourselves as a single entity, even yeah. though we're not? How do we do that? And rightfully so. Yeah. Like I said, sure. they knew that God handed that that win. They <laughs> one they don't want to they don't want to take another. Well, in the War of eighteen twelve, I mean, kind of yeah. showed like, yeah, we're not really that strong. I yeah. mean, England could come back in and burn and down the capital. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. And, the, and the other one, as you brought up, Nathan, was was economic. Yeah. How do we how do we have consistent trade, consistent yep. currency? Because mm-hmm. there's all the different currencies, and that was just a mess. That was a mess on funding. That yep. was a mess with all that. So they wanted to act as a single entity, mainly in those two regards, but yet they are all separate sovereign nation states and they wanted that independency, yeah. uh, independence of each one to do that. So those were the drivers. And that's what the EU is trying to do from a uh, from an economic standpoint. Now, the problem they have, even they did that, is there's a lot, there was a, in the 13 colonies, there was a lot of cultural differences, but there was also a lot of cultural Unity. uniformities. Yeah. And that was around Christianity, yeah, even right. though the don- denominations bickered that's a whole other discussion yeah, but, about, but it, but the fundamentals, the fundamentals of Christ being king, king was was unquestioned. Was unquestioned. Yeah. So we, so we did that. Um, so so what's that mean? A, a compact, which is a covenant under God. So one, you could look at the term federalism. So that's actually derived from the Latin word um, uh, foidos. If I pronounce my Latin right, I took around foidos. Um, and the and the meaning of that is covenant or treaty, but covenant. So they knew what they were doing, and actually, uh, Donald Lutz, who's a historian, so you know when David Barton was here and he, and he referenced the references to like the Montesquieu, the Bible, and Locke, well, the professor that did that research was actually Donald Lutz. Okay. So what Donald Lutz says is he says about the founders, founding generation, is it, was, uh, it, it, it is in a covenant-derived compact written by deeply religious people who knew a great deal about the political and religious covenants in the Bible. So the point of you guys have both talked about in your sermon, especially on second Samuel about the, the civil government is biblical and that's important. And they're, they're, they're separated, but they're also connected the church and the state and that's what these guys understood. So another thing they did. So if you look at that, so go back to the Pilgrims, the the um, Mayflower, Mayflower Compact. So for 150 years, colonial America 
had lived under compacts. They had, you know, community compacts. They had township compacts, colonial compacts, and eventually we get into the state compacts and eventually the federal. So they had worked under this type of system of compacts, all derived out of their church and biblical understanding, for 150 years. Also, too, they were mostly independent, even though they're all colonies of uh, England. England yeah. left them alone for that time. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you. In the Mayflower Compact, there's there's the 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 separatists yep. that are in there. There's the strangers, which are are Englishmen who just came really to make money, right? There's a hundred hundred people I think that yeah. are are on the Mayflower, um, and there's the party where they reference the king, uh, and then and then they're doing this under God, right? Yep. So so then the would you would you classify the the separatists and the strangers as one party the king is the second party and then god is the third party yeah god okay. is the third party okay so who who is actually the rightful king right um and doing that so they they put these covenants in place and, and england kind of left them alone generally speaking for 150 years they were busy with their own wars and other things going on. Yeah. Well, and I, um, I try, I can't remember off the top of my head, but one war England came out of right around, I want to say the mid 1700s. Is that the French and Indian war? The French right. and Indian war, uh, Britain had to fight against the French and the Indians. Yeah. A lot of that, uh, happened right around Pittsburgh where I'm yeah. from. So, uh, well, that's and, and, Washington, and Washington yeah. was an officer was an in officer the French and that. Indian war. Yeah. 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 Where he had several horses shot out from him. Yeah, and, and he had bullet holes, bullet holes in his, his, uh, coat. Yeah. his coat. But and that one Indian chief made that made those comments. Yeah. He said, him. I want to meet the man who God would not allow me to kill. He will be a great father. Yeah. Yeah. He says, I personally shot at you this many times. I don't miss. Yeah. You know, I saw the bullet go into you and yet it didn't it didn't phase you. Yeah. Yeah. So we get into that time period. So England had been busy with their wars and, and left the colonies you know, kind of functioning mostly on their own. And obviously you get into the mid 70s, they're, they're doing pretty well. So England has a financial crisis because of the war and they start looking at the colonies going, well, hey, source of revenue. Yeah. So that's when they get into these taxations that of course torque off the the colonists, the yeah. Americans. Right. And um, the Boston Tea Party yeah, and so, everything. Yeah. yeah. So they had been independent, even though again, they were British colonies for how many, I don't know, how many generations is that? 130 right. 130 years. Yeah. yeah. And then they start getting pinged on. And they also, what the, not only were they good at, uh, and I, I'm tr- I have it in here. Uh, oh, and this is a, this is a quote from somebody. Americans were well seasoned in compactual craft work. So they knew how to do compacts. They knew how to do multi-layered law so they could do their local laws they would have colonial laws and all that had to function under british common law so they Mm -hmm. had been doing that for 130 years they knew how to do it they did do compacts they knew how to operate under multiple levels of law um and then of course the final the, the main law was god's law and they looked into it as that's the law everything else is subservient um to that so they functionally knew how to do that then the british come over and start pinging them for money <laughs> that torques them off they've been independent and then as they you know resist you know they they, they follow proper procedure they sent petitions and yeah. emissaries over king to george parliament kept, and to the king yeah. actually they just got cranked on worse yeah. um then they started doing then the next step was some civil disobedience the most famous one is the boston tea party mm-hmm. and then they just 
England just kept hammering down on them. And then they finally got to the third step, which, which was War. get off our property or yeah. we'll kill you. Which was what? Then the, what, the shot heard around the yeah. world and things mm-hmm. like that. The yeah. shot heard around the world. Yeah. Um, so that that's what kind of led up. So under this compact, and there, and if you look at England, so from a legal standpoint, England, King, and Parliament had the right to do what they were doing to the colonists. Mm-hmm. They had the right to do it yeah. legally. Yeah. Lawfully, and this is the colonists, they did not. Because by doing it, they are violating the laws of God. So that's, and plus they had all those years and generations of, in a way, functioning independently for the most part. Mm. So it just torqued them off. And that was their argument. So you could say from a legal standpoint, the colonists were wrong. From a lawful standpoint, they were spot on. And that's what drove them into the revolution. And that's really important because... Um, just because something is legal doesn't mean it's lawful. We have exactly. seen this time and time again throughout our history. Slavery, great example. Yep. It was legal, not lawful, right? I think you could take it all the way up to uh, 1973, Roe Ro v. Wade. Abortion becomes legal, not lawful. You can come all the way up to 2020, forcing people to get a vaccine, forcing people to stay home, forcing churches to close down, forcing businesses to close down. Might be legal, in some context, I would argue it's not, but I they people did. They said, "Well, it's legal. We can do that." Okay, even if it is legal, it's not lawful. It's lawful. It's yeah. Yeah. So. Abortion's the good one because yeah. if, back to the Declaration, um, we have these unalienable rights. Among them, which means there's more than these three mentioned, but among yep. them are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And we've talked about this before. And they're they're put in that order specifically. Yes. Yeah. Because if you don't have life. Um, yeah, Liberty's irrelevant, yeah, right, right, right. let alone the pursuit of happiness. So life is for... So I would always ask this from an abortion standpoint, reconcile abortion with that. Yeah, yeah. right. It's a good you argument. You can't. You can't. And so it's I, always unlawful. It, that's right. And, and even now, and not to get off the tangent yeah. on abortion, but I, I, I have heard people say, well, okay, Roe was overturned. We threw it back to the states. It's exactly where it needs to be. Now let the state... Some states can have abortion. Some states can't have abortion. That's fine. That, I'm good with that. Well, I always then follow that question up with, or that statement up with, okay, cool. So life is first. If you're cool with the states divvying out life then why don't we throw slavery back to the states? Why was that a yep. federal out, uh, mandate that we outlawed slavery? And if and, and so would you be okay with just giving slavery back to the states? So Georgia allows slaves, Indiana, yep. we've always been a pro-freedom uh, state, uh, anti-slave state, so we wouldn't have slavery in Indiana, but Georgia can have slaves. And, and whenever well, you say that, es- people say yeah. like, no, no, that's not right. Yeah, yeah. but, but es- yeah. essentially <laughs> one, of the, one, unlawful, of, yeah. one of the big things where we say what is lawful is when in the Declaration of Independence that we say that that all men are created equal. We're right there. Yeah. You know, you're created equal applies to slavery apply, you know, as as a higher law, it applies to abortion right there. But, but, you know, then they go into the legality of it. And a lot of legalities are legalism just because you can, doesn't mean that that's what ought to be. And, and then you, that, that's where you get back to truth. If you have something that ought not to be, and it doesn't align with God's law on truth, then a law does not have the power that it needs because it, it, it must find its authority in truth, not merely in our ability to do it. This isn't an ends justify means kind of concept. It's that all things should be grounded in what we all can see about God that is true. The law, the law of nature is and of nature's God. That's right. That's what yeah. it is. So actually, if you so if and those those rights, you look at those 
which the laws should be based on, pre-existed the declaration. Actually, James Madison acknowledged this. Pre-existed the declaration, um, and they were established by God upon creation. So mm-hmm. upon creation, these laws were in effect. And actually, another interesting thing, if you look at um, uh, colonial America, so if you look at colonial America, so pre-revolution, even post-revolution, um, up to a certain number of years, all the colleges in uh, colonial America were all founded by churches. They were Bible colleges. Yeah. And, yeah, Harvard, Bible. Yale, yep. Princeton. Yeah. And they, they only taught. You two, don't want a preacher from those places yeah. right now. I just to tell <laughs> you. They only you taught two vocations. Yeah. They only taught, you know what vocation, the vocations were? It was theology and, and, uh, and what? Government. Government. What Law. was it? Yeah. Either become Law. a pastor or become a, a lawyer. A lawyer. Yeah. But with that, but the curriculum was the same for both. It was the Bible. Bible. It was the well Bible and even just the overall yeah. curriculum in okay. those in those colleges. So uh, um, so basically, it's this. So one you, one vocation went and taught the laws of God. The other vocation went and legislated, acted yeah, yeah, acted and adjudicated the laws yeah. of God. And we'll take James Madison as an example. So James Madison graduated from the College of New Jersey, which is Princeton today, which is one yep. of those colleges. Right. Upon graduation. Like I said, same curriculum. He still didn't know if he wanted to be a pastor or a lawyer. So he went back to school and got what, I don't know, it might be similar to what we might call a master's degree, but you know what he studied? Theology. Hebrew. Yeah. He yeah. was fluent in Hebrew. Wow. wow. So, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So we, people just don't even grasp that those were the same. Yeah back then and of course that also gave them the mind even if they went on to be attorneys or legislatures or in the judiciary that the laws of god are the sovereign law of the land and everything escalates yeah. um, down down from those yeah. you weren't considered well educated at all if you didn't know the word of god yeah. yeah yeah and that goes back to the colonial america we knew we knew compacts which are based on the laws of god and going back historically to to the the Sinai Desert, we had worked on multiple law levels, you know, proceeding down the laws of God being the primary uh, English common law, which English common law was also biblical law going back to the 10th century when the King Alfred the Great instituted biblical law into any English common law at that time. Now, obviously, they ebbed and flowed with the effectiveness of that over the centuries, but British common law was, was mounted in, in that as well. That's like Jehoshaphat who taught from the book of Revelation, made the circuit, you know, and, and, and got the teaching, you know, if people have lost the way of knowing God's law, we have to reinstitute that. So, you know, it sounds like Alfred the Great does it. So you confused me there for a second. You said Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat taught from Revelation, and I was like, "No, the Revel- Revelation wasn't around at that point." No, no, no. The revelation of <laughs> yes, God, I you know, the Word of God. Yeah, how's <laughs> this little clarity there? I was thinking, yeah, oh, that's going to come a little way, <laughs> little ways later. I was like, so, "That's pretty cool that he knew Revelation before Revelation <laughs> was even written." So, what, what, I guess, kind of one more maybe maybe point because I think we're probably hitting on our time here. But um, so, if you go back to um, the the founding. Um, at the time, the American government that we put in place, I guess the constitutional government, um, notwithstanding the, discuss- the arguments between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists who weren't Anti-Federalists and all that. So if you look at the American government, it's actually simply an operational function under God the King. Mm-hmm. They knew that's what it was. Um, and uh, what they would... they w- um, And if you look at that, the King, so God is a King, but also Jesus is a King. So Jesus in in documents, compacts, sermons, 
local things. Jesus is Jesus Christ is mentioned as well as as, sure. as along with God. Yeah. So the Messiah King was also the expectation of the pilgrims, the Puritans, the forefathers, um, and certainly our founding fathers as fathers as God as King. And I remember Micah when we first met you. You were you were given a talk and you talked about our founding our founding fathers and i came up and met you after that and i said boy to really understand the founding fathers you have to understand our forefathers because they they did all the heavy lifting and set that foundation that our founding fathers built upon without and also educated them and taught them without the work our forefathers did our founding fathers would have never accomplished what they did so when when you look at that um and this is actually uh so what what do we do? So that government, like you were talking about, Nathan, we have the separation of powers. Well, one because we're broken and flawed people, and we mm-hmm. can't govern. That's right. We can't govern like God can, um, of course. Which is also you saw that in Sinai Desert. They broke that out to a certain degree. So we broke that out because we're broken to have all those checks and balances for that reason. But we do that. We do that as proxies to the king. So our government is a functional government to operate as a proxy to the king until he returns. And our forefathers and founding fathers knew that upon the return of the king, I guess maybe reference to that. The Lord of the Rings, here we go. uh, Return of the king, he takes the government upon his shoulders and we are are no longer the government. So Micah, in your sermon you gave, you said, we the people. That's what I meant by bring it on home. So it's we the people. So we're the sovereigns. Yeah. But we are sovereigns under the true sovereign, which yeah. is God, who is our king. That's good. Yeah. So That's good. when we've been going through Second Samuel, First Second Samuel, it's very clear that God, you know, going right back to the beginning of the of the book, that God is the king. The people want a king like all the other nations. This offends Samuel. Samuel says they've rejected me. God corrects Samuel and says, "No, this isn't about you. This is about me. They've rejected me." And he says, I will pick the king. But he never turns around and and gives the kingdom to a, a man. What he does is, is that he makes it clear that that man is a co-regent underneath of his authority. Who's the co-regent Lord of the Rings that gets uh, slapped by uh no, that's by a Gandalf. That, that, that's a that's a uh, what do they call that's him? That's a steward. A, right? a steward. He's oh, a steward. steward. <laughs> uh, uh, but it's Denethor, by the way. Oh, thank okay. you. Yeah. Hey everyone, yeah, I knew Hannah. Here we go. Okay. Anyway, I I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> hey, but but it is a co-regency kind of concept. Yeah. So even you know, as you're talking and as as you're as you're talking about that that yes, we the people are underneath of of the king, the, true king. The, 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 the Lord, it just brings up Romans chapter one to me. They would not acknowledge God as God. There's something that happens. It happened in in Saul. Saul doesn't do co-regent well. He makes it about, this is mine, and I'm going to keep it, and you want to give it to David, God, but it's mine, and I'm going to give it to my son, and so David must be destroyed. It is essentially what the natural propensity of we the people is is to take it from God, yes. and 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 so we have also failed in our co regency. And God says, "Hey, you you wouldn't acknowledge me as God, and so I give you over your reprobate mind." So you you can't say that kingdom come, thy will be done, 
on earth as it is in heaven. So I say to you, okay, your kingdom come, your will be done, and let's see how that goes for you. Crime goes up, yeah, yeah. people get sicker, economies start to hurt, you have no, you don't have as much prosperity. I mean, it's just, it literally, I look at Indianapolis, and, and it's kind of that. I, I'm not, not that I'm God in any way, shape, or form, but I kind of get a sense of a little bit where God is with us sometimes. I look at Indianapolis and you say, what are you guys crying about whenever there's shootings and your, your downtown looks like junk and no businesses want to go there anymore and it's not thriving? I'm like, what are you crying about? This is exactly what you wanted. You voted for people you voted for it. who did this That's and you right. don't change. So don't cry to me when your kids are getting shot in the streets. Like, and nobody you, wants to go to the downtown yeah, at all. You wanted no, it. You, and I feel like that's exactly what the Lord is telling America as a whole. It's like, hey, you guys push me out. Okay, fine. You do it, and we'll see how well that goes yeah. for you. Yeah, and you mentioned that people say we're secular. Um, uh, and a lot, I hear a lot of people say in more recent times is is we're becoming a, pros, a post. post-Christian oh, um, yeah. nation. And my comment to that is we we absolutely cannot be a post-Christian nation, be, confederacy, I guess, yep. really. Yep. But because if we are... We are not the United States. That's right. Because we are only the United States under compact, under God, as a Christian nation. That is so good because I hear, and this is, why is this important? If you're listening to this today, why is this conversation important? You may be thinking, oh, these guys just are history guys and they want to just talk history. No, this is important because it's identity. I hear so many Christians in the Church of America today say exactly what you just said there, Jim. We are a post-Christian nation. We'd stop fighting the fight for God in our culture. Like, just just surrender it all. We just need to be, we just need to be the light in a secular world. And it's like, no, no, no. Like if, to your point, if this is not a Christian nation, this is an America. And if this is an America, guess right. You don't have the rights, the liberties and the privileges to live the life that you did. And it's amazing how many of them love the liberty that they have. They love the freedoms. They love the prosperity. And then they say, but we're not going to stand for truth because we just think that'll all stay the same. If we, we can have all of that and not have God. It's like, you guys, have you ever read history? Have you ever ever read scripture? It's exactly what it seems like culture does time and time again so so when everybody talks about oh you know we want economic conservatism yeah but we want we want um you know to have fiscal conservatism but we want to be socially uh liberal then then just remember you can't have the one without the other that's right the uh, the 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 morality when people you know even uh, i think if i'm not mistaken maybe you and i had a conversation about this there was a point back where mitch daniels he comes in and he says let's not worry so much about all of the social issues let's let's just really let's get our fiscal house in order well that that sounds like wisdom. We can maybe win more elections with that. You know, maybe maybe that's what we need to do to get Indiana on solid footing. But but it's wrong. Yeah. Because when you let go of what we are morally that is determined by the God we serve and the law that supersedes all American law, the Constitution, the, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, all stand on the Word of God. Or it does not stand. Yeah. It will collapse without the word of God. 
Okay, I, I got a couple quotes maybe to give to kind of maybe yeah. wrap us up yeah, yeah. here. Sure. So this one, this one is from James Otis, who was one of the leaders of the Sons of Liberty and actually a mentor to Samuel Adams, who was a firebrand himself. And he stated this in 1766: "God is the only monarch in the universe who has a clear and indisputable right to absolute power because He is the only one who is om- omniscient and as well as omnipotent, and that civil government is of God." Amen. That's good. And then this is from Sir Richard Sutton, who was in the British Parliament at the time of the the revolution. And this is what he this is what he declared to Parliament: If you ask an American who is his master, he will tell you he has none, nor any government but Jesus Christ. Yeah, no king the, but Jesus. Yeah, the, the British the British <laughs> knew what it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is John Locke who. Um, Jefferson relied heavily upon upon the Declaration, and this is a quote from John Locke, and actually our forefathers referenced him and, and all that. As men, we have God for our king, and we are under the law of reason. As Christians, we have Jesus the Messiah for our king and are under the law revealed by him in the gospel. Love it. Amen. And actually, actually, if you read Locke's second treatise, the Declaration of Independence is basically an executive summary of that writing. Yeah. And then one last one, and this is from uh, uh, the, the colonial pastor, um, Samuel Langdon, and this is in 1779. So the, the, the Declaration has been signed. We're in the middle of the uh, Revolutionary War, and he makes this comment, theirs, meaning the colonies, mm-hmm. theirs is a Confederate Republic with Jehovah at the head. Love it. Mm. That's amazing. It's, who's the king? Yeah. God. Jim, thank you so much yeah. for being here today, man. We just need to do this again because yeah, this such is a blessing. fun. This yeah. is a huge blessing. Thank you for, you know, I thank you for loving our country and doing the study and helping us understand this, man. I learned I learned quite a few things here today. Thank you very much yeah. for coming. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me and yeah, and keep those sermons coming. I enjoy them. Yeah, that's yeah, great. The Lord, love it, man. Well, and this is, uh, I think God's raising up uh, people all across our nation in the church that are standing for truth and they're, they're fighting to get America back in alignment with its birthright and its birthright was to be a nation under god and so and uh, i love it yeah you mind if i just close in prayer yeah please heavenly father lord we love you and uh lord we love we love you jesus and we we want to return to you and there are people that are preventing that but there are many people who have not bowed their knee to the wickedness of what's going on they still understand who we are father Help us, return us back to your side. Give us a national revival. Lord, start heart by heart uh, in those that may be listening today. And I just pray that you would use us for your honor and glory. Um, Lord, we look forward to the day when the United States of America will bow their knee to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And they will say, we are the United States of Christ. Um, Help us, God, as we try to bring people back to an understanding of their God. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 All right. Well, hey, thanks for listening today. Uh, This has been Jesus, Sex, and Politics, and we uh, hope you learned a lot and are inspired to go out and take truth to the streets. That's it. Is that all you want to say? That's it? I I thought you said (laughs) it pretty well. (laughs) All right. We'll see you next time on Jesus, Sex, and Politics. 